back themselves after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year. And Golden State. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. See, Grant, what's good? And we are back with another episode of Views from the Clutch. As always, we'd like to take a moment to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you can do so by following us on any of the podcasting platforms we are hosted on. You can message us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Man, it's been a little break. But we are back at it as always. Lots to recap, a lot to cover. Um, I kind of feel bad. I kind of feel bad because while your Knicks were flourishing in the midst of what was it, a nine-game win streak, we didn't mm-hmm. get the opportunity to record uh, um an episode and, and send them their flowers. But you know, so first and foremost, congratulations to the New York Knicks because that that nine-game win streak, which was exactly what you prescribed they would need to do to get themselves out of that traffic that we said they definitely want to avoid in the first round of the playoffs. It looks like what mm-hmm. they're positioned now in the fourth spot. Yeah, then, yeah, they're in the fourth, actually by a game and a half in the fourth yeah. spot with 12 to play. So that's a great situation for the Knicks. Like I said, they're, they're about to hit a tough West Coast trip. I mean, a West Coast road trip. Uh, the next, next six games are going to be on the road. But just the fact that they were hot and the other teams behind them were not. So that helps with because there were when the, the Knicks were winning, Boston was losing, Charlotte was dropping because then basically the Knicks had won nine of the last ten games, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that nine game winning streak, the Hornets were the uh, the fourth Four or the fourth seed. They went they went three out of the last ten. They only won three games out of the last ten. So mm-hmm. while the Knicks winning, they started dropping. Miami went five and five. Atlanta went five and five. Boston only went six and four. So the Knicks have been have been super. They've been scorching. So that allowed them because remember we talked about how fourth and like eighth had only been like three games at the time. Well, the Knicks were able to make that gap up and extend it. So again, kudos to my Knicks, man. They they they, they were winning the games they were supposed to. And again, even the game that they lost to Phoenix who is currently the number one seed that we'll talk about a little later. But that was a very competitive game where a couple of couple of makes here and maybe a couple of defensive stops there, the Knicks could be on, you know, 11th game winning streak. You know what I mean? Because the fact that the Knicks had one nine straight, they lost to Phoenix and then they just beat, they beat Chicago by, um, if it was 18 to 20 points, if I'm not mistaken. And then now this upcoming Sunday, they play Houston in Houston, which Houston, um, they they got they got they they found one they found one. They, but let me just say this: they got they got they got somebody. Uh, they got James. They got a. They got Harden. They got the. They, they have got the, the. They got the new era Harden. Joe, they got a James Harden 
they got a James Harden uh, remake without the beard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But he's got still some of the same habits because, you know, he got yeah. fined for going to a strip club and then turns around and gives gives you 50 and 10. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly and he, and he, got, he got fined 50K. So <laughs> what's the irony of that? You fine me 50K, so I go out there and drop 50 on y'all. And he, now, and he did that against Milwaukee, which was – Obviously went out without Giannis, but that was still Milwaukee's still a competitive team. Yeah, that's Jay Holiday out there guarding you. That's not, you yeah. know, that's that, that's a collection of pretty good perimeter defenders. You're not out there going up against some, you know, G League, G League exports giving them giving them those buckets. You're giving it to a team that's competing for a top three seed in their conference. Um, yeah, I've been high on KPJ. Oh yeah, facts. This I think we were we were early on him. We were early on, even for when he was playing in Cleveland. We both talked about, hey, this kid, if he could put certain pieces together, he could be a sleeper. Yeah, if he can get out of his own way. Yeah, facts. Because, you know, I don't want to make it seem like Cleveland didn't have proper motivation for no longer keeping him on the roster. He did some things to get himself removed from that Cleveland situation, which I can understand because he got drafted there and his fit never really – materialized or made much sense considering what they have going on with the two backcourt people that they drafted before mm-hmm. him. You know, they got Colin Sexton and you got Darius Garland. You got two guards who are essentially small and one of them is going to either wind up playing the point guard and the other is going to play the two, which they tried to do at the beginning with the B-line era and then they draft Kevin Porter Jr. who's taller than both of them and technically should have an opportunity to play that two-guard spot. But mm-hmm. because you drafted two ones and one of them and both of them are scoring ones, you're trying to sort that out. So that's playing with the politics of, of that spot. Cleveland yeah. had a lot of that going on. A lot of, you know, roster, I don't know what the word is, a lot of roster fluidity they didn't have. You know what I'm saying? So some mm-hmm. of it is starting to clarify itself with, you know, them moving on from Andre Drummond and so on and so forth. But they still have a lot to to figure out. And he got caught in that mix. And he also vented his frustrations and, it led to him. I don't know. Did Cleveland release him, or did they trade him for you know like Skittles and and, and some hot dog buns to to Houston? Somehow, some way, he found himself to Houston. Which let's just get to the irony of it all. No, yeah, Kevin he, was tra- Jr., he was traded. He was traded. Kevin Porter Jr., basketball mentor since he was a kid, is James Harden. James Harden is literally like his NBA mentor. Like, that's somebody that he mm. used to speak to, train with, learn from for a very big part of his AAU coming up. So it's not as if those comparisons weren't without founding. It was because he was genuinely getting tutelage and, you know, feedback from James Harden. So by the time he went to, I think he went to USC. Yeah. He was already getting those comparisons because he had already patented the, you know, the step back, which is what James Harden, you know, made his signature move. So it was it was just a matter of time and seeing if he could actually live up to the billing because he always like if you go back and read any of his draft express reports, any of his any anything about Kevin Porter Jr. prior to he also has one of the biggest viral highlights ever for for a high school player. There's a a play where he dunks on this kid and it's just oh, my God, it's. I mean, I think there's a meme that they put behind it, like, like you know, like one of those he woke up and chose violence kind of memes where he dunks on his kid. Mm. And it's one of those situations where Kevin Porter Jr. is clearly playing high school basketball and he's like, he looks like a 12th grader player amongst 8th graders because all the other kids just ain't anywhere near his, like, body type. But it's it's a hilarious, I got to find it and I'm going to send it to you so you can, you can understand what I'm talking about. But it's it's a 
pretty big deal. When you see it, you look like, oh, that's him? Yeah, it's now crazy. I remember him because he had the wild afro and he mm-hmm. had like the little braid, um, drink a, uh, like almost like a braid bang or something like that. You know what I mean? So yeah. I always thought, but he, he was lefty. Has, he's got the, he's he got was, the he was a lefty, a very very like elusive lefty with his handles. You know, kind of like a herky jerky type player. So I always thought, um, in the way he shot it, I always felt like, okay, if he could be consistent. He's he he's gonna be he just needs to fine tune his skills, but you knew he was gonna make it obviously make it to the league, but sometimes it's the outside factors that might push you out the league, you know. Um but like I said, he he did his thing and and the fact that he's been um he's been one of the bright spots for Houston. Unfortunately, Houston has been, you know, just a very a very in a bad situation from the start to the finish. Uh, marred with injuries, the James Harden trade. But it was all by design. Yes. Yeah, it was just it was a, all by design. Houston is tanking, and I don't think of anybody uh, I mean, but they didn't sell it that way. So so let's let's be clear. They 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 sold their their fan base on the idea that they would compete, but once they got from underneath the James Harden situation, it, tanking is what what they was the path that they decided to take. And I think that the the, the tell all hint was the losing and then the willingness to release DeMarcus Cousins. Mm-hmm. So once they had given DeMarcus Cousins his freedom, it kind of became, you know, blatantly clear that their intentions were to see what they could do. Those draft picks that they had put into play with all of these different moves that they had made with the Westbrook trade and so on and so forth, because they have a top four protected pick involved. So they need to have that pick land in a top four in order for them to be able to keep it this year. So it's in their incentive to lose and get the best possible pick they can and, you know, move forward from there when it comes to that. And then I think they have another pick situation involved with Westbrook being traded to Washington for, for Beal, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, for um, John Wall. Wall. And I think that pick actually comes from Washington and they're not going to get it because Washington has, you know, That's another team picked, up, on fire. picked up on their uh, potential. Because, I mean, I have to go back and, you know, boil some eggs and eat them because I was quick to be on here telling you, like, yeah, everybody assumed that Westbrook coming to, to Washington meant that they were going to go to the playoff, but it's not looking that way. Yeah, man. Because they, <laughs> besides the Knicks, they were the second hottest team in the league. The Knicks mm-hmm. had won nine straight, and they won eight, eight straight. You know what I mean? And then the day the Knicks lost, they lost – so, but now they're winners of the last two in a row, and let's yo, let's salute while while he yo, give him his flowers while we can. Russell Russell Westbrook, that triple double. Listen, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So don't even because even when you trying and you playing in the park, you playing with your friends, that's extremely hard to do. First off, if you can get a triple double in the park in any kind of format, then I definitely yeah, don't want to play with. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're doing too much. You're doing too much. There's, there's just a lot going on. It's almost like you're passing it to yourself. Yeah, but again, you're passing, that's just... missing and rebounding. Like, <laughs> but what's the crazy part about it is when you see a guy do that on a consistent. Because we always, I only knock what Westbrook was, and it wasn't really a knock. It's just, yo, what was his go-to move? Like a lot of players have certain moves that they could do, a certain handle, a certain way. But Westbrook's energy and speed and just that athletic ability is what separates him by leaps and bounds 
against a lot of these players in the league. I mean, that's one thing we could never – no one can ever say that Westbrook takes a night off, whereas you sometimes go to see your favorite player. You watch your favorite player, or there's a lot – you watch other players in the league, and you see them look like they're going through the motions, like kind of like they don't want to be there. They'd rather be somewhere else. But Westbrook provides that that uncanny ability to stay not just engaged but play at a an extremely high level. His motor, man, he's got that he's got that uh, synthetic oil in his motor because he ain't playing when it when he out there, man. I really I really tip my hat to him. Like I said, I, I know on this show we definitely have have talked about him doing I great mean, things, it, but exactly. Again, the thing the thing about Westbrook is nothing about him is um is mysterious. You you get what you get with Westbrook. It's just a matter of can you accept it and respect it for what it is, or are you going to nitpick at it because it's not what you want it to be? And I think that's been the the issue that we've had with Russell Westbrook over the, the length of his career. Everybody wants for him to be good at certain things that everyone else who is successful has been good at and that overshadows what he is excellent and amazing at and has been gifted to do because we've just simply been fixated strictly on wanting him to be able to do things that would probably make him, you know, more competitive or more successful or more likely to succeed, you know, primarily nitpicking on the fact that he's a poor jump shooter. So, Mm -hmm. From the perimeter, no matter what we say or how many flowers we serve him, we can't change the fact that his <laughs> excuse me, his career three point percentage is not above, you know, it's not above thirty percent. He's just yeah, and that's, never that... had a lot of perimeter success. And a lot of people attribute that and some of the decision making that he's had in certain situations and some of the defensive choices he's made in certain situations to the fact that that's why he hasn't gotten to the promised land or hasn't succeeded more than what he already has accomplished. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that there are a lot of great players that come in and out of this sport who simply, you don't all get to ring the bell. That's just of the course. truth of the matter. Yeah, you got to think about it. It, it. It's not often. And the thing about it is you know, there's, there's even more players that get it when they're considered the man. You know what I mean? Because there's a, there's a lot of players in a small a small circle that get championship rings, but how many of those players can say, yo, I was still the man or I was still number one option, number two option when I got that ring. There's only a few, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We could almost count on our hands within the last 10 to 20 years. Because the, irony been- of that, the irony of, of what you're talking about is that a friend of mine on the book, um, shout out to my boy Breezy Nice. He has a post right now talking about, you know, because, you know, how much help LeBron gets is a topic that'll never die. And he wanted to basically point out that LeBron has gotten, in his opinion, the second most help of, <laughs> of any player who, who, who's won a title. And I had to systematically break him down because he did say to, you know, to like qualify a statement. He's like, super teams didn't start with LeBron which is accurate, they didn't, and we'll get to that because Julius Irvin and his decision to take LeBron off of those all-time lists is just something that really, really bothers me, and it just goes to show how we have this generational, I don't want to call it hatred because the hatred is a strong word, but we have this generational tendency to pick on 
and revisionize our own history and make it seem like we weren't doing the same things that the current generation of players doing, just doing it in the way that it was made available to us in that era. But I mean, LeBron's, LeBron's best title team is not a top five all-time championship roster. His best title team. So if you pull out the Heat, the Heat titles, because those are the best championship teams he played on. You agree? Yeah, yeah, facts. I'm pretty sure you can recall at least three different title teams that won that were better, one through five, or just all the way up and down the roster. So you take the two teams that Durant won with at Golden State. They're better than the Heatles. Mm-hmm. You take the 15-1 and one Laker team that steamrolled their playoff run and the only loss is the Iverson step over Tyron Lue game. That's three teams right there. Then you can still possibly argue that the Golden State team the that first won before they got Durant is better than the Heatles team. That's four teams within the past 20 years better than any of the LeBron title teams already. But the argument is LeBron got the most help. So, again, back to your point. It's crazy how how we, in these glasses, forget how truly difficult it is to get to the top of the mountain. And while we're waiting for somebody to get to the top of the mountain, we reserve all the opportunity to give them the praise that they deserve. And a person like Russell Westbrook, for what he's done, he's historical. Yes. Think about it. He's about to break the all-time triple-double record that's been held when they were still having black and white TVs up. You know what I mean? And this, mind you, I believe he's about to be a player who's averaged a triple double for three separate seasons or something other. No, it's, it's, it's four separate four, seasons. Four separate seasons. Well, so, think about it. He's the only triple. He's the only player to average a triple double for more than one season. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We got to think about it. He was the first time since Oscar Robinson, the first time he did it. And the crazy part about it. It wasn't the last time he did it either. So you figure when he won MVP in 2016-2017 season, that was the first time since Oscar Robinson that anyone averaged a triple-double for the season. He's he's done that. Um, this year in Washington, he's currently doing that right now. He's averaging 11 rebounds, 11.2 rebounds, 11 assists, and 21.6 points a game. So if the season ends today... That would be four different occasions where he averaged a triple-double. And that's four, that's four out of the last five years. That's incredible. Because he's – and they said if – now this is like, a, you know, kind of like these small stats, but if he wins the assist – if he leads the league in assists and Bradley Bill leads the league in scoring, that will be the first teammates – in like since the since eighty two to do that, which is crazy to hear about. You know what I mean? Like now, listen that. The, the, let me just not let me the one also knock that I was po- going to point out in Russell Westbrook, and is is also the fact that he started his career as a, as, as a above average free throw shooter. He's now become below average. He's already hitting sixty three percent of his free throws. But normally when his Oklahoma City career, he was in the 80s. So to have a deep decline, a steady decline from, from your free throws, but then also in the era of guys hitting three-point shots from almost half court consist on a consistent basis, when you talked about him being a poor three-point shooter, it's almost like his contemporaries 
have been excelling in that aspect, and he hasn't. So that's a you know that is a you know a that is a knock on him that will obviously never leave him. You know what I mean? As good as he is at the triple doubles, people will always hey, you can't shoot. You can't shoot like Steph. You can't shoot like Dame. You can't shoot like, you know, Kyrie. You can't, you know, like there's so many different plays that we can name that with the emergence of the three-pointer and the fact that it ain't going nowhere and you've been in the league now and you kind of played against those top players, even though you consider the top player, that's your knock. You know what I mean? But the crazy part about it. His career three-point percentage is 30%. Yeah, if yeah, if you round it up, it's lucky. But last year he was twenty, he was twenty six percent from three, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's been in the twenties a lot in his career. How, this yeah. year he's averaging thirty percent, mm-hmm. fighting, yeah, fighting, exact fighting to stay in that. You know what I mean? So again, but like I said, you know, overall he's got DC. I mean, listen, he's he's a familiar coach in Scott Brooks, who we both said. We were surprised that he he had a job this long, but mm-hmm. with the fact that the Wizards are winning, and again we talked about also by having this seven through ten playing game, a lot of trades and a lot of coaches kept their job at at the um, halfway point of the season at the All Star break. So it, I think depending on how the Wizards Wizards um, and Washington continue, is in a unique position because they can still argue that health is holding them back from being yeah. as good as they could be. I think, who did they lose? Thomas Bryant? Yeah. Year? And remember, they lost all those games. I think it was six games due to COVID. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I, 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 they lost Thomas Bryant early in the season with a torn ACL. So, he's definitely not going to be able to come back this season. And he was supposed to be on the bright spot for them. Yeah, uh, when, to be there five. Yeah, to be there starting out. five. Because they so, just signed him to a big, uh, a long-term deal. So, I mean, I don't know. Washington is just like we said, they're, they're, that's a unique franchise, unique situation. A lot of the energy prior to Westbrook's arrival was fixated on what Bradley Bill was going to do, whether he was going to hold the water, hold the line. I think, again, if Washington is able to somehow make themselves uh, a part of the playoff conversation and to – seriously contend for that seven or eight spot and possibly win it, then I don't think you see Washington have a shakeup in the offseason. But moving yeah. on from that, like I said, we were giving Russell Westbrook his flowers. Um KD came back and dropped what was it, forty two and three quarters? Uh yeah, his first time back, he did score, I think he scored thirty three and like uh off One the bench. Quarter. When he when he actually said he told the coach, hey I want to come off the bench to get a different feel. In fact, he scored 33. It's like, yo, this dude is incredible. <laughs> I mean, to say that with a straight face and, you know, Steve Nash is probably like, all right, let's see what happens. And Steve Nash, look, I know saying that. We told you. They Remember, they, 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 uh, they're coached by committee. Oh, no, no, yeah, no. I'm not saying Steve Nash is going to tell yeah. him, no, you have to start. He oh, probably yeah, was Steve. like, all right, bet. You know what I mean? Like, Do you, brother. Do you, brother. But he's back. Only thing about uh, Kevin Durant. I think he's back. He's back out now. So, because um, mm-hmm. they lost last night to the uh, Portland Trailblazers, mm-hmm. but but one thing about the Nets, I'll say this real quick, yo. Jeff Green is playing with that level of urgency, and also just tell people like, yo, I could be an X factor because 
I've seen Jeff Green not only dunk on people, I've seen him consistently score 20 points a night some games, mm-hmm. you know, and I've seen him be that kind of glue guy, and he's been consistent with playing. He's not really missing. Now, Jeff Green's had a, you know, a, a, a very unique, w- very unique career. You know what I mean? Um, he, yes, he's currently averaging 11 points a game, but there have been plenty of games this season where he has been the best player on the floor. Yeah, yeah, and and, and again, he he's done that. He's 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 had that energy and that vibe about him since he was at Georgetown, because when he was at Georgetown, he you know he kind of carried them, but at the same time, he carried them in a way so that he wasn't the focus if that makes sense. And then he gets to the league and he's played alongside Kevin Durant before. Yeah. You know, people forget that. Like Kevin Durant, that was his wingman when they got to Seattle. It mm-hmm. was Kevin Durant and it was and and it was Jeff Green. Jeff Green got moved to Boston and you know his career path started to go in a different way and he kind of developed himself to be you know more of a utility guy. And I think he expanded on that even more when he got his opportunity to play with LeBron. I mean Jeff Green is just one of those guys who he really knows how to play the game of basketball and his ebb and flow will really be dictated by what his team needs and what they will allow him to do. And I think in Brooklyn, Brooklyn has kind of got to like, hey, man, just do you vibe to how they let their players go out there and it fits him perfectly. You know, he's not out there stepping outside of his skin. He's not trying to take step back three just because he plays with George, with James Harden. You know, mm-hmm. he's not out there taking... 20-foot pull-up jumpers just because Kyrie can do it. He's being the best Jeff Green he can be, which is highly efficient at getting himself to the basket, creating mismatches off of the fact that most people that they, they tend to never guard him correctly. So one moment you're putting a five-man guard in Jeff Green and Jeff Green has literally got the foot speed and the agility of a three. Just because he's strong and athletic enough to play against fours, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have the mobility and agility to get himself where he needs to be on the floor. And I think that's constantly the thing is that it's very difficult to find another guy who matches up perfectly with him. So he always seems to be able to manipulate whatever factor of the matchup he can to his benefit. And that that just goes to show that his basketball IQ and his veteran savvy, you know, they're up there. And Brooklyn has got a nice collection of guys to, to be able to, to do those things with. And now they're currently the number one team in the East. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. Like I said, you know, sometimes sometimes it's what you hear about guys talk about the others. You know, you got the star players, but what are these other players doing? And he's one of those others that once he gets – if he can start getting his rhythm and get, get his opportunities and shots going down early, you're in for a long night because you already know what the, what the top tier players on that team are going to do if they're playing. You know what I mean? But if you got him rolling – I mean, heck, the other night he he just he was dunking on Indiana like it was let the layup line or something, but there was people underneath the rim where he was doing it. So um, that just goes yeah, to show Jeff you. Jeff Green is a serial body catcher; like he catches a couple bodies every season. So yeah, it, it, it it's not going to surprise me until you know, like I'll be more surprised when when he finally announces that he's going to hang it up because you know he's got one of those. Richard Jefferson type of careers where he can play as long as he wants because he's always going to bring something to a team, come kind of like Vince Carter. Um, let's go out west though. Phoenix mm-hmm. is the number one team in the West. They have clinched a playoff berth, and they uh they have the best record in the league. Who would have thought that at the beginning of the season 
that Phoenix, this late in the season, not when this season's 1-0 and you're two games or three games in the season, you are the best team not only in the West, but you are the best team in the NBA record-wise. I mean, you're actually tied with um, the Utah Jazz at 45-18, and 18, but they own the tiebreaker because they beat the Utah Jazz. Uh, so, tip my hat to – listen. This is one of the all-time great regular season runs, and Phoenix has had a lot of them in their history. Remember, the Mike D'Antoni era saw them, you know, really flip their franchise over, and a lot of people don't realize that the Mike D'Antoni era, some of their best records were really only just as good as some of the best records that they had during the Barkley era. Because mm-hmm. remember, Barkley came to Phoenix, and I think they won 60-plus games. I think they won, like, 62 and 20 the year that he won MVP. Phoenix yeah, has had a lot of regular season success. It's not a franchise that's void of winning a lot of games in the regular season. My concern, and I hate to put this out there on them because it kind of like takes away from what they're currently doing now, but I feel the same way about Phoenix and Utah now that I did in the beginning. Where they finished at the end of the regular season doesn't really reflect how good they're going to be come playoff time. I'm truly concerned that that Phoenix team will not be able to hold water when it comes down to dealing with the heavyweights. But here's the problem. The Western Conference heavyweights have really fallen down. There's really only three other teams. There's really four good teams in the West. Everyone else is just kind of figuring it out. And those four good teams are Phoenix, Utah, L.A., and L.A. I see Denver as being competitive, but do you still consider Denver a threat with all they've lost? No, I mean, I think I think they're definitely going to be competitive. I think as of now, I mean, see, that's that's a um interesting matchup because as of now, obviously the playoffs started today. It'd be Denver and the Lakers, right? Mm-hmm. But but LeBron just coming back. I mm-hmm. really I feel like LeBron just coming back. That game, that series might go six only because LeBron just has to get in the rhythm. You know what I mean? I could see Denver winning like the first one. Winning maybe game three and then it went Lakers. six games. It went six games last year. That's what I'm saying. So I could I so, so I could just see only reason I would say it would go back to six games only because that would be if the playoffs started today type thing. This would be LeBron, that would be game one would be LeBron's second game back mm-hmm. since the ankle injury. So that's the only reason why I would um, have any you know concern for the Lakers. But yeah, the Denver team, like I said, it's it's it's. It's injuries, man. It's the really whoever is the healthiest is help the healthiest and also could be the healthiest on the floor for the long period of time in Boston. Because when I look at a team like Utah, they've they've been playing without Donovan Mitchell, who is still out. So Mm -hmm. I, I don't see again the Utah two seed, Denver's a four seed. Those are teams that are surviving. Without the best players available. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the argument for Denver is Jokic is the best player. Murray's a, the best – I mean, the best guards for their team. How about that? You know? Um, but, again, also with the with, with Portland. Portland looking like they're trying to – they during the time when LeBron was out, I thought you two – I mean, I thought Portland was going to capitalize on that and just take, a, take over seat the Lakers, but they didn't. They lost. They had lost um, 
prior to this most recent winning streak. They weren't looking that good. They no, they were they were they were losers of five straight. Mm-hmm. So they lost five straight. Five yeah, their last straight. ten, they're four and six. Yeah, you know the streakiest and... teams right now, as far as last ten go, you got Phoenix. They they're seven and three in their last ten. The Clippers are seven and three in their last ten. Um, the Nuggets are actually eight and two. So I mean, again, I don't want to overly beat down the Nuggets and say, nah, they can't. Nah, they can't. It's just I feel like what you lose in someone like Jamal Murray can't be quantified, but it'll be clearly visible come playoff time because you can mask certain things in the regular season to get you wins, but once teams lock in come playoff time and they say, hey, you need a guy who's going to be able to create from out top to beat us, if you don't have it, you don't have it and you lose. And all of these other teams, they've got great perimeter creators. So you've got Portland who, you know, just just get Dame Lillard, just get Dame Lillard to the playoffs, you know? Just get Luca to the playoffs. You know, just get Paul George and, and, and Kawhi to the playoffs. Just get Donovan Mitchell healthy to get him to the playoffs. We already know what CP3 and Devin Booker are, are, are probably going to bring to the table come playoff time. It's going to be nasty work for anyone playing the one, two, and three positions in the Western Conference for the playoffs. You are in for it. Once that ball tips, no matter what series you're in, you are in for it. But the contrast is if you're playing against Denver, not so bad. It, who, it, who's who, who's playing point guard for Denver right now? Monte Morris. No, they have um, what's the uh? Oh God, a guy from uh, Capazzo. Yeah, Capazzo. Yeah, Capazzo. Yeah, yeah. He had he just recently had like a career game with nineteen and ten, and yeah, you know, and and, and again, like to be a to be an all star caliber guard in in the West, you damn near need to average nineteen and ten. So it's like, okay, you're just right on par with everybody else in this in, in this in this this uh Yeah, and then think about it. Let's 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 be clear too, for a team like Denver who has a relatively young team, you know, and it, well not just young, but inexperienced playoff team. Aaron Gordon has has maybe a few games under his belt as a playoff, but they weren't they were in Orlando and they mm-hmm. were getting swept. So mm-hmm. You know, Michael Porter Jr., who could be, you know, possibly an X factor, but you don't know if that's X factor for the other team because he'll he might give you 30 on the offensive end, but he might give up 32 on the defensive end because defense is not necessarily his specialty. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting because you have Denver in the situation they're in, but that playoff time, those guys that are are they going to stay as hungry? And, and not just hungry, but they're going to have to be even more effective because you're going to be taking on the fir- in the first round possibly the Lakers, the defending champions. So mm-hmm. you got to bring not just an A game, you got to bring your A-plus game. You know what I mean? Where you, you might be a team that you got to cut your turnovers. Whatever you average now turnovers, you got to cut that in half. You and know what I mean? Be, and let's just be fair to Denver because in, in all reality, you have to you have to encompass both possibilities the lakers are in for it too like this is a very big deal that you guys allowed yourselves to be sitting underneath denver for your first round matchup like okay yeah i know lebron has a history of picking his opponents or the teams that he plays on seem to fall to ideal matchups like how you know cleveland used to always wind up being in toronto's crosshairs 
because they, you know, they own real estate in Toronto. So it was almost like, yeah, if we could pick who we're going to play against. Let's make sure we land on the Raptors at some point, because that's one series we know where we have a mental advantage against. I don't know that the Lakers should feel that confident against the Denver team. They're very volatile. And for what they don't have on the perimeter, they have a lot of it on the front court. A lot. A lot. You got Jokic, you got Michael Porter Jr., you've got um you got Millsap, you've got a collect you've got Aaron Gordon, you've got a collection mm-hmm. of guys who from the three to the five can play this game. And yeah, you're bringing back LeBron, A D and you know, Drummond, but they're waves. Denver has a wave of, of players that they can bring at you at those positions and it could just simply overwhelm Los Angeles. This could be a short playoff run for Los Angeles. So, and Los Angeles is really only a game above Dallas. Well, it's a half a game. Yeah. So maybe, yeah. So maybe Los Angeles doesn't even want that five spot. Maybe you give it. Maybe, maybe you get out of the way and you let Luca and, and, and and Jokic go at it in the first round Mm. and you take your chances against the Clippers. See, I don't know. At least, at least you're not traveling. You're not traveling. No, that that is true. That is true. But I think and and you totally avoid the one seed coming out of the first round. So you go to the six. You play the three. You take your chances against the Clippers. You possibly beat the Clippers. So the three six winner plays the two seven winner. Yeah. And that's gonna be that's gonna be either or Utah, Utah Phoenix. And, you know, Utah and Phoenix versus, you know, the 7-8 game guys. And that could be Portland or Memphis. Mm-hmm. Or it could be Golden State. It could be, you know, yeah, you don't yeah, yeah, know. Yeah. So you 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 can err on the side of let's try and play the worst possible teams before we get to the Western Conference Finals to get as healthy as we can and continuity as we can. Or you can take the approach of we need to get ourselves together and play the best basketball we can and just figure it out come playoff time. I don't know what the Lakers' approach is going to be. I don't know what the best approach is going to be. But considering the roster that they have and the players that they have on it, I would not be surprised if there's some strategy involved in what they, they position themselves to do as we get closer and closer to, to the end of this regular season. It's going to be interesting to see. Because right now, does it really look like, even with Phoenix and Utah owning the best records in the league, that the Western Conference has the best teams in the league? Do you feel that way? Uh, no, I mean, let's see, see again, it's, it's all of this season has told the the NBA fans a lot. There is, there's a different perspective on teams when they're healthy and a different perspective on teams than what you currently might have on the floor at that time. Because yes, the Nets are arguably the number one team when healthy, Right. But they haven't been healthy. And we don't know if they're going to get healthy. We don't know if these guys are just saying they're out because they're just trying to hurry up and wait till the season's over and then they'll be ready come playoff time. There's a, there's a chance that's true. There's a chance it's not. But we say, okay, Brooklyn's number one team when healthy. Okay, but if they're not healthy, you got a shot. If you got two or three of those top three players, you still have a chance. You have a better chance. But if you got all three, ain't no real chance. You know what I mean? Like that's what some teams are thinking. Phoenix, they—I don't know if those, besides CP3, I'm not 100% confident that those other players are ready for the big time for the playoffs. I'm not necessarily going to be 100% sure if they're ready for Dame in the first round. 
You know what I mean? Because if Portland is the AFC, let's say, and they play Phoenix, I'm going to actually think that if if Phoenix is favored, they ain't favored by much. And it wouldn't be surprised if Phoenix would not be favored. So same thing with Utah. If, you know, if they play Dallas in the first round, or like you said, the Lakers slip, because the Lakers are only a one game out of the playing tournament, mm-hmm. which is crazy. But again, you say, for instance, the Lakers are the seventh seed for argument's sake, and then they open up against Utah. Is Utah ain't feeling that safe? You know what I'm saying? So, yes, the only team when healthy, I feel can have a side of relief, but I'm also looking at the east side. When I say Brooklyn, I, I gotta take that back because let's say Miami's that seventh seed. You know what I mean? Or and Brooklyn finishes number two. Let's say let's say if it's Brooklyn and Miami face off in the first round. That's gonna be a more difficult matchup. Of but again, and if it's God forbid, only two of the top three players are playing. Miami's going to feel a lot more confident. Let, let it only be what it was last night. Only Kyrie out there by himself. Oh, Miami's looking to feast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, that's, this is, like I said, this is the one season where the healthiest teams might be a team that we're not even talking about. You know what I mean? It might be, this might be the year where the Clippers come out just because they have not been hit with the injury bug as much as everybody else. Or this could be a situation where Phoenix gets it together because they have been the healthiest and those guys and Chris Paul is is a great leader. You know what I mean? It, you know what I mean? It could be interesting. You know what I mean? We just don't we don't we don't unfortunately we don't you don't know what you're gonna get with this season. And you know what I mean I'll just say that, you know what I mean? But one thing though, let me just say this. I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a jab at your Lakers. The other night, they played the Wizards, and the Wizards was dunking on everybody. Oh, they was Rui catching bodies. bodies. They was catching body. bodies. You had dudes dunking on the Lakers that I didn't even know who they were. I had to double check. I was looking at You had... Rui caught a body. Yeah. Rui, oh, he caught the body. They caught the body of the night because, again, he dunked on AD. And he dunked on AD to the point where AD fell on the floor and started checking his nose for blood because he mm-hmm. never got dunked, dunked on when he was in that high in the air before. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? It, it's also the fact that... um, Shout out to Rui. Shout out to Rui. I like Rui. I yeah. feel like Rui is a mini Giannis. <clears throat> like also, got, your he's... man. Your man. Your man. Blondie. Blondie got dunked on by Gafford, man. Gafford dunked on who's Blondie? Who's Blondie? Kuzma? Kuzma, man. That dude, Blondie. Who else? Who else was who else? Well, not no, okay. Blonde Street. Gizmo. I mean, you know, uh, what's his name? Not Gizmo, but (laughs) what's his name? Strike (laughs) from from the Gremlins. You know what I'm saying? That dude, that dude. I, that, I mean, but you don't call Kuzma my man. I, I listen. That's your I, man. That's that your is team. not that's my your, man. That's, this that's is my team. But Kuzma Blondie. is somebody who listen. There's a lot of players on the Lakers I cheer for, but I'm, I, I you could never put me in the stand of like I expect them or I have this belief in their talent that like 
Even LeBron. Like, Who was defending LeBron was Kuzma when they got rid of I'm always going to defend Kuzma because, you again, you have now. to defend. You have to, no, you have to defend the moves of a franchise where you know, you understand the sense of what they're doing. I didn't turn out to be wrong. They won a championship by keeping Kuzma. They, they might have won a championship by keeping Ingram. They weren't you don't going know to that. keep Ingram. That I'm trade was you were not going to get AD and keep Ingram. No, I'm not and saying. Again, I'm not saying. And again, and again, the type of player that Ingram has become, he is incompatible with 85 percent of the NBA. Look at what they just did in New Orleans after they traded for Ingram and turned the keys over to him. Right? They turned the keys over to Ingram last year. Last year. Let's just talk about it real quick. They turned the keys over to, to Ingram last year and said, okay, we're going to run the offense where you can flourish and do all the things you like to do, which is these high pick and rolls where you get to take all these mid-range jump shots. Stealing, get that fucking out of here, man. Get a ball to Zion and get out the way. Go stand on the wing. Not yeah. even a year. Yeah, and, and look what happened. The record is worse. Is it? Yes. I mean, I mean, I don't know. What did New Orleans do last year? They still didn't go to the playoffs. So how's the record worse? They still a non-playoff team, no matter which style of basketball they play. But again, it, what it is is you're thinking that you're bringing in somebody with the, the I guess the skill set or the the basketball that can create an identity that you can go forward with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is but, what the coach's job is to do. I well, agree. Uh, yeah, and, and technically they could pass last year's record because they had Alvin Gentry last year and they won 30 games. They currently have Stan Van Gundy and they got 28 wins. So, yeah, there's a chance that they finish higher. but And we're know, not even thoroughly convinced that they're trying to actually get to the playoffs with we don't some of the things that they've done. Do. Yeah, we don't. Uh, see, but that's the thing, with the misdirection. But let's go back to your man Blondie because this mm-hmm. all stemmed from Blondie getting dunked on. How many times is your man Kuz going to step in late to try to take a charge and it ends up on someone, some little kid's poster on the wall because a player that he didn't necessarily know for sure dunked on Blondie so bad that it's like, yo, I got to put this poster on the wall. Blondie, That's what I'm talking about, your man Blondie. Blondie. He got dunked on. He got dunked on by Gafford. Uh, Gafford from the um, Gafford Olympics. catches bodies. I'm just saying. Gafford catches bodies. I mean, I, I've been watching Gafford since he was a Chicago Bull. Listen, Kuzma is a certified dunk dummy. He has been okay. on the receiving end of a lot of situations. And a lot of them, it's like, bro, why did you even get yourself involved? Like, it's almost like you wanted to be there. Like, you're almost like, like you almost are trolling in reverse to be a Dunkin' dummy. Like, you're intentionally wow. jumping. You're intentionally jumping to, to, to be, I don't know. Because remember, the poster era is over. Now you're a screensaver at the most. You're not hanging up on some kid's ball in, you know, Listen, in yeah. perpetuity. He you're, might be an NFT. Kuzma getting dunked on might be one of the hottest NFTs, man. That's the latest trend. What's NFT? Uh, NFT is a like a digital image of a digital picture image that people sell that you could buy like almost trade like it's a stock. Mm-hmm. So basically, with that with that being said, you can now sell uh, a picture like the uh, Gaff- Gafford could sell a picture like mm-hmm. almost like the. Um, yeah, and when and get the world footage, of it. yeah, yeah I yeah. heard of it, but I didn't know that I didn't. But so what I'm saying is, now sports moments are. are, are oh yeah, because Golden State, Golden State has now become the first professional team that's offering that through their website. Like through them, you can get 
NFTs. And again, that's Silicon Valley. They all, I'm not surprised they're number one. But I'm just saying, some 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 rich kid or some innovative kid, his pops might get that as an NFT. You see Blondie getting dunked on, mm-hmm. and that goes for you know a couple of years. You know what I mean? But again, it is what it is. You know what I mean? He got dunked on. It happens. Happens a lot for him. So he might. I'm just pretty be sure. I'm pretty sure that if I go on Facebook right now and I try to comment on a post and I hit the GIF and I typed in Kuzma, it would come up too. Yeah. It would come up in full motion, him getting baptized. So, yeah, yeah I mean, those moments and, and those moments are happening more frequently in the NBA. And it's a different era. It truly is a different era. But before we go, I wanted to make sure we touched on um, Dr. J's uh, all-time list because he put Michael Jordan on his second team all-time. Mm-hmm. And took LeBron off the list altogether because he said LeBron James can put together his own team. And since he can put together his own team, there's no place for him on his all-time team. Now, I don't know if you saw the play that Julius Irvin picked, but it was obviously a homage to, you know, an era long gone. But the logic, it has to stop. The super team logic has to stop. And for somebody like Dr. J, who played for that Sixers team, who engineered himself off of the Nets franchise to play those games. I just find it so conveniently revisionist. And it's just becoming shameful. It really is that LeBron and players who have exercised their empowerment in a more open way, in a more transparent way, are are being branded in a negative light by the older generation when they literally are following the footsteps of players that they saw do the same thing. Like we forget that Wilt Chamberlain orchestrated his exit from Philadelphia. Yeah. We forget that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar woke up one day and said, you know what? This Milwaukee thing ain't for me no more. Mm -hmm. We forget those things. We forget Charles Barkley saying, you know what? I gave him my all, but now I want to go chase a ring. Get me to Houston. We forget. Yeah. We yeah. forget Carl Malone saying, you know what? I love Utah, but whatever I got left, let me give it to Los Angeles because I got a chance to the ring. Totally, 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 totally. And then you have the t- situations where the GMs get together, like Danny Ainge and Kevin McHale, get together and say, yo, my man, I'm going to help you out. Boston's team is created. Right, which is what so- happened with Julius Irvin in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what happened. They had a team that got assembled that maximized him. Yeah. And the prime that he had left. They made some moves. They put together a team. That Philly team was dominant. They went out and got a ring and they aged out quickly. Mm-hmm. But they were a very hyper competitive early 80s team. Like we forget that those first three years, because obviously we're 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 young. I mean, we're, you were too young to appreciate it or not even alive. I was. Well, and also they you gotta to think about it is some of those games were on tape delay. So you couldn't even watch them live. Right. Point is 81, 82, 83, that, that was the Philadelphia 76ers dominant era. During that era, I was two, three, four, five years old. You were just being born. So 
us having a contextual understanding of what was happening at that time is always going to be us looking back. But the facts don't change the facts. Philadelphia made some moves to put that team together so that they could compete. And, you know, their window opened and closed in a very brief time. But it's the same shenanigans that took place during the LeBron eras, the KD eras, and all the eras that are before. Franchises, mm-hmm. when they feel or sense they have an opportunity to contend, you go all in. Of course, facts. And if you have a player who, who steers you to going all in and, 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 and puts the pressure on you that you have to go all in to keep them happy, you do it. And it's going to continue to happen in all sports. So for Julius Irvin to be mad that LeBron James, wherever he goes, he puts the pressure on whatever franchise he's playing for to actually contend for a championship – as a reason for saying he's not one of the greatest all-time players, I think is malarkey. And here's where the disrespect really bothers me. Because what number did LeBron James elect to have when he didn't take Jordans when he went to Miami? Mm-hmm. To pay tribute to the same man. He picked yeah. up the six. Yeah, I think, I think, I think the see, there's so many different problems with the whole, you know, you the older players. The you know, it's like the old the old regime versus new regime. You know, they players you tend to forget that not everybody in your era was nice, right? And also sometimes you elect to not tell people the whole gist. Because you go, you could say, Oh, if I played in this era, I would dominate. I would just say, nah, we don't know. We don't know. Yes, you were nice in what you were playing at. But this game's a little different. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think with also with um, Dr. J. Stone 5, you got to figure Jerry Russ, Elgin Baylor, and Walt Cham- Will Chamberlain, they had all played on the same team. So, again, like he said, it was like you said also, that was a super team right there. Like, what are you talking about? Like, so three of your, three of your top five it was a super team. You know what I'm saying? So, in an again, era, in an era where the phrase didn't even exist. exist. So, yes. There are the times where, and again, I, I'll never fault LeBron for what he did because you know what? As, as a fan, that's going on the receiving end of LeBron making those decisions, you love it because you always want your team to compete. You're telling me that these owners are going out there drafting guys that are not going to work out or that don't necessarily fit the scheme of what they, because again, a, a lot of teams don't have a long-term plan, don't have a plan. Mm-hmm. They're just going through the motions. So if I get a guy like LeBron, and this is one of the reasons why I used to knock LeBron because he didn't come to the Knicks. I was like, yo, he's going to come with a plan. The Knicks mm-hmm. don't have a plan. He's going to come and dictate and def- and going to ensure his legacy's up to par so you have to get what he says. So again, I never fought LeBron for that. Like I said, Dr. J starting five. Those are the guys he played against. So, I, in a sense, I'm not necessarily mad at him because, again, this is all what your personal opinion is. Yes, right. the fact the shots at LeBron are not warranted. He could just say he could have just left it as easy as this: "Yo, my all-time starting five are the guys that I played against. Boom. My second team are the guys that came right be- right behind me when I was on my way out that helped carry the league and get to the league." To where they jumped, they took it over. They pa- they passed. I passed the baton to those guys, and they kept running. Nobody would have said anything else. If they would have said where LeBron James falls at, he said, "Well, he's on this. He's on one of my teams that are current players." Boom. We got to laugh at it as simple as that. But again, these guys know 
he's Dr. J's been around the NBA long enough. He knows that's not enough to get a story going. You know what I mean? So again, sometimes these guys say things and they just want to hate. Sometimes guys are just haters. You can't, they're just going to because again, also the type of money these guys are making. I'm sure Dr. J wish he would have had a contract for, you know, for $30 million a season. Remember, he put the ABA on his back. You know what I'm saying? He mm-hmm. carried a whole league. organization, a whole league. And he was the reason why the ABA had value when, when, they, yes. when they were acquired by the NBA. Listen, nothing will ever be taken away, as far as we're concerned, from the legacy, history, and importance of Julius Irvin to the sport of basketball. So I, I don't want it to seem like we're all of a sudden saying, hey, Dr. J, you know, you, you know, you hating curmudgeon, you Mr. Magoo. It's not any of that. It's just when they occasionally show that they can really be baseless, it, it has to be spoken on in the same way that it's being, you know, publicized. Yeah, you, know, you don't have all... to hate in order to show. Listen, exactly. If hating on the next man elevates me, I don't want that elevation because I don't need to hate on you. Cause I'm I'm Dr. J. I'm dumb nice, so no matter what era you put me in, I'm still gonna be nice. So I ain't gotta hate on LeBron or hate on KD or hate on these young cats. Yo, know what? I'm proud of these young boys for taking the game and elevating it to where my grandkids, those are my grandkids' favorite players, and those guys that are currently playing, they respect the fact that I was able to do certain things in the time mm-hmm. that. And I helped carry the league. That and was, was it. Like that's it. Like you inspiration. It's different. You know, it, I don't. Like I, said, I don't. I don't think it benefits you to be a hater because at some point, time is going to reveal. Like if you was a hater and your your basis for hating is really trash, it's like people are going to remember that. Remember you for that. So right. I don't. I don't take it like this. Listen, Doctor J, you dumb nice. Don't hate on anybody else. That's nice. And again, it's not like LeBron was like, oh, I don't want to play in your era, Dr. J, so I'm going to sit out until it becomes better, better for me to be nice. Nah, that's where he was born. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, mm-hmm. those are things you can't control. I can't control when I was born, and I can't control when I'm shining. And hey, listen, this, the league is the way it is, and I'm able to take advantage of, you know, the player empowerment all for it because that again that pushed the league even further when a guy like LeBron does something like that so listen but again Dr. J listen you want to be in your rocking chair and you want to you want to just don't throw shots at people you was nice these guys still look up to you to an aspect these guys still have that level of respect for you so all you got to do is how to translate that same respect to him. You ain't got to take the shot about him putting his super team to get this. Nah, what? I just, again, I find it extremely, extremely puzzling to know that a guy literally chose your jersey number to tribute you when he chased the championship ring. And you, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, it's almost like that gesture was forgotten in that moment. Or yeah. maybe, maybe, or maybe we now know that Dr. J never saw it as a flattering gesture. Maybe that's what it is. Or it could maybe, be a lot of different. It things. could be a lot of different things. Yeah. And maybe, maybe listen. I wonder. Let me just. I always say this to people. Yo, would you have that same energy if that guy played for your team? You know what I'm saying. So imagine mm-hmm. if LeBron had played for the Sixers. Back instead of going to Miami, he went to the Sixers and got the Sixers a couple of rings. Would Dr. J be running his saying what he's saying now? 
They probably I don't know. Because he wouldn't be like, well, he took his challenge to um to to Philly and he helped Philly out. So I don't know about that. Nah, I think Dr. J would have been like, yo, this is great for Philly. This is great for the city. This is great for the organization. You know what I mean? Like a lot of guys hate when because it because they don't take advantage of the greatness. Like I said, I only hated on LeBron because he didn't come in the Knicks. Because I knew what he what he possessed at that time frame. You know what I'm saying? And I wouldn't even call it hate because I don't dislike the man. I just didn't like his move. You you did the, you know, you did what you did. But again, that's no knock on LeBron's game. LeBron dumb nice. I wish the Knicks had a dumb nice player. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we got one this year, but he's you know what I mean? LeBron is I see how LeBron is transcended. Like LeBron could have played in their era. Like don't get it twisted. You can't hate on a guy that could have played in their, in their era. era is just immoral. But that's what but that's what I'm saying. So uh, where literally all you can do is go to the basket. But that's what I'm saying. And again, that's what I'm saying. So it's not like don't hate on a guy that couldn't have done this. Like LeBron, like see the, that's what I always take. The guys that are dumb nice, they could have played in any era because you are the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not like you was just some journeyman guy that barely played. You averaged maybe a point or two a game. Yeah, you might not, you might not be able to go in the uh, in the league. You know what I'm saying? But you was if you're leading the league in scoring and you averaging twenty something, almost thirty points a game, you almost averaging a triple double. Yeah, I could have played against the guy that in the off season he was working for UPS because he wasn't practicing working on his game the way I am. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I could, I could have. You know, so that's what I'm saying. The nice dudes, they could play in any era, and I think that's what they could. You could still be great, and that's the only problem, though, with the game evolving to what it is. And as long as the game's been around, these top five or top ten lists are always subject to change and always subject to argument because Dr. J could actually be right in his his stance on his top teams. Just don't throw the hate at the end. Right. You know, because and again, I don't have do I do I agree? Do I think that his list is wrong? I can't say that. Do do because again, his justification or the logic that you use to explain it, it makes perfect sense. The guy is going off of people that he played against, people that he has, you know, he he actually scraped the court with. So you can't knock a guy for simply using his personal reference points as choosing who he believes belong, you know, where they belong on that list. That's not it. It was just merely the logic that he used to explain when he was asked, well, where's LeBron and why? And then, and then like the idea that like under any sniff of basketball IQ, you could somehow put Michael Jordan on your second team and say that there's a two guard that existed in the sport of basketball that was better or good enough to warrant Michael Jordan being on the bench, that does kind of, you know. Yeah, that, that list already is like, nah. Check the validity. Because you have because you have Knicks fans like you, who if I said, give me your top five by position, no matter yeah. how much, yeah, you can't stand that man, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. His name is getting mentioned. Of like, course. Yo, I can't, like, yo, like, and it might you might even do it with the with the standard New York. Swank to you, yo, he'll beat your ass, but you know, Michael Jordan, you know, you're gonna, it's gonna happen, it's gonna be said begrudgingly. Like, you just don't do certain things because you understand the value of what they brought to the game and to the court. And I just felt like when, when people do things in the way that he did it, they kind of 
make themselves a parody. And it's unnecessary because of their stature of what they've contributed to the game. Like, there's no reason why we should have to laugh off something that Julius Irvin is doing. You get what I'm trying to say? That's mm-hmm. really where I'm bothered the most. It's like, if you were doing it to be funny, like it was, a, you know, a parody, you were being satirical, ha, 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 this is a joke, I laugh. But you're dead serious. We got to have a conversation. We got to have a conversation. Because when these guys do it for shock value, for, you know, their respective networks to bring viewers in, clickbait, so on and so forth, I get all that. But when you're a legend in the game and your word is to be taken seriously, when people are asking, you know, the current state of the game and where you feel players are and what needs to happen, and then you come out and say something like that, it, it almost seems like you're out of touch. That's dangerous. Mm-hmm. That's dangerous. But on that note, we're going to go ahead and bring this episode to a close. We hope you all enjoyed it. As always, we'd like to say thank you to our listeners, supporters, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you could do so by following us and messaging us on any of the podcasting platforms we're hosted on. You can reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Tag us on social media at viewsfromtheclutch on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And like that, I'm going to say peace. Peace.